Hello everyone, this is Alex Mili for the IDC Amina podcast. We are talking all things Eurocom and today we are joined by another speaker, Mark Hanant. Mark, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Good afternoon. Nice to see you. Likewise, Mark. So the first question I need to ask, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and what you do? Yeah, sure. I'm very happy to. I'm a corporate communications professional um, and for the past 10 years, I've been based in India. I'm speaking to you currently from the city of Mumbai. Um, a decade ago, as the global economic crisis was taking hold, I was excited by what I'll describe as um, emerging market opportunities. I could see that countries like India and China were becoming increasingly important in world trade. There was lots of evidence from a variety of different sources that suggested that a large proportion of global GDP growth over the coming decades would be from those emerging markets. And I had some um, first-hand experience of seeing how businesses from these regions were starting to become more closely integrated um, into the world economy and to become part of global supply chains. Um, so if I can give you a couple of examples, um, I had a um, client in the UK, which was a company called Ready Mix Concrete, called, uh, or known as RMC. Uh, and they were bought by a Mexican company called Semex. And then at about the same time, um, the steelmaker Chorus, which was also a client when I was based in London, and, you know, that was a business that had been known uh, as British Steel. It had been a stalwart of the FTSE 100, and it was bought by Tata Steel of India. And, I mean, some of my colleagues at the time thought that this was a sign that the world had gone mad. You know, hadn't, after all, we owned India for 200 years? How was it possible that, you know, an Indian company was buying um, icons of British industry? But to me, it was um, an indication that economic and, to some degree, political power was shifting east and south. Um, and in those transactions, which I had direct involvement with, I saw a communications opportunity. So, for example, the communication style of, Mexican executives or Indian business owners were very different from those of the British managers in the businesses that, that they were acquiring. And, and that presented, I felt, a host of challenges. And in some cases, you know, it damaged or destroyed value. So I thought that there might be an interesting opportunity to work in the spaces which I've come to describe as the places where developed and emerging markets meet. And of course, you know, these so-called emerging markets are huge, more than a billion people each in India and in China with emerging and aspiring middle classes, rising incomes, and that's driving economic growth and creating massive demand for everything from infrastructure and public goods and real estate to electronics and automotive and smartphones and fridges and wine and whiskey. And so I decided that the second half of my professional career would focus on those places, I felt that there might be demand for the skills and experience that I'd picked up working with some of the world's largest companies, and I'd had the opportunity to um, run and subsequently own a business in London, and we'd had um, offices in uh, the US, and I felt that that experience might be relevant and, and in demand. And so in um, January 2009, with my wife and two small children who were then aged one and two years, we cracked up our house in Islington in North London and we headed to Mumbai. 
and in January we will celebrate 10 years. Um, and that anniversary will coincide with the publication of my book, Midnight's Grandchildren. Well, it sounds as if you've been having not only an interesting time in terms of moving uh, to, to an emerging market, but you've also had your hands full. And now we're bringing Aminacom to the Gulf, which is still seen as an emerging market. The, the Middle East is very much considered to be emerging rather than developed. And you're going to be talking about the subject. You're going to be talking about essentially the culture clash between the two. Tell us a little bit more about what you want to discuss with the Minicom crowd. Yeah, so um, one of the things that appeals to me about the conference and one of the reasons why I'm very excited to participate is the fact that you've got a very diverse group of professionals who you know, represent not only a variety of different disciplines but come from a, a, you know, um, a diverse set of different countries and cultures. So over time, I've had the opportunity to work closely with companies and with executives that work in what I've described as those places where developed and emerging markets meet. So that, you know, our client base includes large Indian companies who are creating international footprints. It also involves large multinational companies who are inbound investors into India. And actually, increasingly, we find ourselves working with companies who are growing in other large, fast-growing emerging markets. So, for example, we recently did a rebranding for a leading um, law firm in Nigeria. We also have clients based in Hong Kong who are serving the needs of the APAC region. So I've taken an interest over the last decade in the way in which those places and the cultures of those places either show similarities or differences. And I'm convinced that the key to success in managing cross-border business is largely down to the ability to manage those cultural differences and to be able to communicate effectively and to build communications frameworks that enable that kind of success. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about. And there's an element of theory to that. So I shall make some reference to Gert Hofstede's cultural dimensions theory. I think it's a great starting point to understand, you know, how one national culture compares to another. There's another application of Hofstede, which is to understand how one corporate culture compares or contrasts to another or how it contrasts or compares to the national culture within which it operates. So there's a dash of theory, but in the main, what I'd like to look at are real-world examples and the lessons that we can learn from those. So uh, just to sort of illustrate that point, I've um, just come back from Guadalajara in Mexico where I was speaking at the annual Mexico Business Summit. And one of the things that we looked at, I led a session with a group of um, 75 young uh, Mexican entrepreneurs who are ambitious and want to be able to take their business from Mexico into other parts of the world. And, and we um, spent some time looking at the ways in which Mexican culture, Indian, Indian culture, and U.S. culture compare or not. Um, Mexico and India, and Mexico and India are both very hierarchical, and so you know, an Indian that goes and works in Mexico will recognize the culture and they'll have a frame of reference for their communications. While the U.S. is much more um, egalitarian and meritocratic, it tends to have 
flatter corporate structures. So anybody that's moving between one and another culture will have to be uh, mindful of those differences if they're going to be able to communicate effectively. But while India and Mexico are similar in their hierarchical, highly stratified nature, they're also very different uh, in other ways. So, for example, Mexico is a very indulgent culture. You know, the attitude is, I want it now, I want as much bling as possible, conspicuous consumption is fine, and it's to be applauded, and that, that's the spirit. Uh, in India, we find a much more restrained culture where um, rates of savings are high, for example, um, spending is tightly regulated, and we find quite strong uh, social barriers, barriers to um, shows of wealth. I mean, of course, in a country of, as we said earlier, 1.2 billion people, there are degrees of restraint, and it's probably fair to say that, you know, in North India, for example, North Indians tend to be a bit more showy than Indians from the South. So we'll look a bit at some of those differences, you know, within one national culture. But what I want to do is to use that as a basis from which I'm going to build some principles that I think are worthy of consideration, things that will resonate with anybody who's charged with working across cultures. You know, that includes both communications professionals, but it's not limited to people in those practice areas. And we'll look at, you know, ways to make the best of cultural differences, how we can play to our strengths, and how we can minimize the potential for miscommunication. So those are really the sort of subject areas that I want to delve into in that session, Alex. I was going to ask Mark, you know, because the, the Gulf is a very diverse area. Um, we have a lot of different cultures here, including cultures from the Asian subcontinent. Um, but people still have a challenge when it comes to communicating cross cultures. So, you know, what can we do better as communicators? I know you're going to be talking about what we can do practically speaking, but, you know, what are your insights as of today as to how we can, as communicators, help our wide organizations? Uh, communicate with all the different cultures we have either within or without uh, when it comes to engaging and it comes to promoting understanding? Yeah, I think um, you, you make a, an interesting point there is that, you know, as communicators, we have um, groups of stakeholders who we're potentially able to um, enable in terms of um, helping facilitate their own communication. So, um, as I said, I think the session it will be relevant not just to people who are communications professionals, but anybody who you know, has a responsibility for working in an environment where there are multiple different um, cultures at play. And I know uh, globalization has become a somewhat compromised term of late. I think the reality is that we all live and work in a globalized context, and that being able to understand that and develop what we might describe as cultural fluency or cultural intelligence, I think that's a core management competency in the 21st century. And so in the session, I want it to be fun, I want it to be interactive, I want it to be open. Um, I hope that it will appeal to anyone who wants to um, think about their own communication style um, and perhaps spend some time thinking about how they can improve that part of their skill set. So thank you very much for that, Mark. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing what you have to say about communicating across different cultures and, and trying to bridge those barriers as professional communicators, but also as often who works inside an organization which has 
numerous cultures, numerous nationalities, numerous uh, groups, diverse um, groups, and uh, obviously, as communicator, I want to push for inclusion. So I'm looking forward to hearing you and welcoming you to Amina Common Bahrain. Thank you. Um, thank you, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, joining you in February.